Oh, you're going to need a Bible in your hands this morning. Um, If you have one, please open it up. We're going to be in John's Gospel, John chapter 20. How wonderful it works out that we are reading John chapter 20 this morning. I've got the text up on the screen for those of you who find that the print in front of you is too small. Depending on where you've sat, you might be regretting it right now going, I can't see the print on the screen anyway. That's all right. We're going to read it together this morning. Please read out loud with me the word of the Lord this morning. John chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb And we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him And went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. All right. I want to make a brief observation of the text, and then we're going to talk about what we do with what we've just read this morning. Observation that I want to make is simply this. We have in the other gospel accounts different details about what happened When the women got to the tomb and I encourage you go home and put some time aside and flick through in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke their descriptions of exactly what happened when the women got to the tomb. Because the other gospel writers include these details that there were angels present, that that they were given a message that Jesus is risen. The very first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus were women. That was groundbreaking in its day because in this age, women were still treated like property. They were owned. They were not uh, allowed to give testimony in a court of law because they were not considered trustworthy. That was the world. And Jesus chooses this group of women to be the first witnesses of his resurrection. And we find in the other gospel accounts that Jesus himself interrupts them while they are on their way to go and talk to the disciples. In John's gospel, the detail of that encounter we'll have a look at next week. Because it seems like John deliberately gives the detailed encounter after summarizing the story here, which is what we've just read. But when we understand it in context and when we read it along with the other gospels, we see that these words in verse 2... They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him occur after the women have already spoken to the angels. So when they say they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, they're not talking about Roman soldiers. 
They're talking about the servants of God, his angels, he, um, his messengers. The word literally means messenger. Uh, evangelizomai is one of the words that's used, or evangelion for those of us that anglicize it. The messengers of God, the servants of God have taken him out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. They've already encountered Jesus and Jesus said, don't touch me, but go and speak to my followers. Go and tell my brothers where I am. So they run to the disciples and they tell them. And then what happens? Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Peter and John. In John's gospel, John never refers to himself by his own name. They start running for the tomb and we know that John is younger than Peter. Peter is an experienced uh, fisherman who's already set up and we actually know who John's parents are. We meet them in the text. John is a much younger man than Peter. They're both running, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then we find that even when they get in there, verse 9, they still did not understand. They have seen the resurrection. They are, they are wrestling with what it means, but it hasn't sunk in. The enormity of what has gone on has not yet sunk in. But I want us to pause with this thought for a moment. What on earth was going through their minds? Because maybe that's happening for some of us. That we go, that Jesus has been raised from the dead and we believe that he has been raised from the dead but what on earth does that mean what does that mean what is it that 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 needs to sink in in order for our lives to look as transformed as the lives of his disciples so let's start really 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 close to home this morning hear that murmuring that just happened (laughs) So Bruce, Bruce Stewart had the saying that, that uh, in the church we need to have one hand on the Bible and one hand on the newspaper. Taking what is applicable from the scriptures and applying it to the lives that we actually live. So who here can name some of these figures? Do we know their names? Some of them. Some of us don't care. I recognize that. Steve Smith. Who else we got up here? Bancroft and Warner. And so... Let's start really simply, okay? I want to ask you just two very simple questions this morning. Question number one is, what is your hope in? And then question number two is, what do you hope for? So some of us, we hope that, you know what, life is going to be going really well and the things that we're involved in, we're going to succeed at. It will be a great day, a glorious day when my team is winning. And maybe my team is Kerrang Baptist Church. Maybe my team is our Aussie cricketers. Maybe our team is is the kingdom of God. But it's going to be a great day when our kingdom is winning, when our team is in front. And in Australian culture, we, we take these public figures and we lift them up and we worship them. Kids have the posters on the wall of so many sports people. We don't really do it with politicians in Australia. That's something other countries seem to do more of than us but we put hope in our team succeeding we put hope in human beings which fails us again and again and again but sometimes we put so much of our own personal investment maybe it's not an international cricket team but maybe it's the business you're involved in maybe it's your superannuation 
Maybe it's your school sports team. Maybe it's a local benevolent organisation that you're part of. And we can so build the hope of our future around that thing that we will end up investing in it and and clinging to it and holding on to it. So maybe we're even prepared to bend the rules. So much is our hope in that thing. So much is our identity and our picture of the future wrapped up in that thing. And we can end up viewing that thing as the thing which is going to give us meaning and belonging and identity. And it's practically taken the place of God. If that thing does really well, then I'm going to have an amazing life. If my superannuation does really well, my life is going to be amazing. If my sports team wins, then you know what? I'm going to be on top of the moon. So question number one this morning, what is your hope in? Because the disciples had hope as well. Peter gets told off by Jesus because Jesus says, I have to suffer and die. And Peter says, no way, you're going to take us and you're going to put us back at the top of the pecking order. You are going to take us from being a corrupted people group who are under oppression by the Roman Empire and you are going to be the saviour who rides in and makes war and makes us powerful and makes us influential and makes us wealthy and makes us prosperous and that's the kingdom of God. And Jesus' words are very simple. Get behind me, Satan. He says to Peter, you do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men. So what is your hope in this morning? Is there something in your own life? And I don't need to name a bunch of things. The Holy Spirit is a big boy. He'll put his finger on what's in your heart. That thing you don't want to think about right now is probably it. That's the first on the list. Is there something in my life that I so invest my sense of self in that that thing has become my hope for a glorious day? Is it a relationship? Is it an achievement? Is it a status symbol? Is it a qualification? Is there anything in my heart that has taken the place of the great and glorious hope of salvation in Jesus Christ? Question number one. Question number two is this. What do you hope for? This was in the news the last couple of days. And ironically, I tried to find the article and it was very difficult to find the article. Less than 24 hours old. China's social credit system seeks to assign citizen scores engineering social behaviour. Let me give you the short version. In China, they do control systems really well. So one thing that's happening there at the moment is if you go for a drive down the street, there are a ludicrous number of cameras that will snap your license plate and it will be monitoring you continually. If you go walking down the street, facial recognition software is running on a ludicrous amount of cameras watching you, monitoring your phone calls, monitoring your bill payments and they are creating a ranking system for their citizens. So if you exercise civil disobedience, say if if you get fined and you think the fine is unjust and you don't pay the fine... The government says this person has not paid a fine. They're going to drop from 100 points, which is the baseline, down to maybe 50 points. You can go up to 200 or you can drop down to zero. So this person, they're in the minus, really. They're they're below 100. So if your friend goes to call you on the phone 
before the call goes through, there will be a message saying, you are phoning a dishonest person. Welcome to China 2018. And this sort of stuff means, and again, I, I suggest go home, have a read through, uh, through the article. Uh, bonus points for donating blood and doing volunteer work. If you give blood to your government, you get some points back. 2018. Isn't that interesting? Uh, if you are in negative points or if you've dropped down in your status, then it means that you can't get a passport. You can't fly internationally. You're not allowed to register a car. You're not allowed to get a mortgage and buy a home. You maybe can't even enroll your kids in a university. This is the world we live in. This is the world which we are inheriting. So if your hope for the future is vested in your country being the greatest of all countries, your country might just might not be everything it's cracked up to be. If there's a Chinese spy listening, please be gentle with me. It's 2018. So what's your hope? And is your hope in the future of Australia? Is the most significant thing about you, your citizenship? Because we hear the stories about the underground church in China all the time, about their passion for Christ, about their zeal, about the way that they are multiplying. And yet on a government level, this is what's going on. This is the future. I put a post up this morning with this article, article saying, is it too soon for me to make a tinfoil hat and cry conspiracy in the mark of the beast? Who knows? But if my hope is in this world, then I have a huge reason to fear and to live in fear and to be consumed by fear. If my hope is in this world or if my hope is in the strength of my government, if my hope is in the future of Australia, which is about 250 years old, if we're going by the European model of government, if my hope is in an earthly kingdom and that that thing is going to be my significance and my purpose and my identity, then it may not just fall apart and disappoint me. It might actually turn on me and betray me. And we see the same thing happen in the scriptures. Again, these disciples, they trusted their leaders. They put faith in the leaders. And the very system in this case, which God had put in place... The system of priests and temples and sacrifice got turned against the kingdom of God. What is your hope in this morning? What is your hope for and what is your hope in? Because we have these two figures and they are running to the tomb. And what on earth is going through their mind? What on earth is going through their mind? These women have turned up with a strange story that the very messengers of God have been present and have said, he is not here, he's alive. You so don't understand what has gone on. And now these disciples are running, consumed with hope that they were wrong. They are hoping that they were wrong. Peter is hoping he was wrong John is hoping he was wrong. They're hoping that their picture of what had happened was an incomplete picture. They hoped that it was true that Jesus was resurrected and that they were completely wrong in their understanding. 
They hoped that they had radically underestimated the goodness of God. They hoped that Jesus was actually more powerful than they had ever imagined. They hoped that the universe was being rewritten and that this wonderful thing had really happened, even if they didn't understand it. And I hope that's yours this morning, that your hope is in Jesus, even if it doesn't all make sense. Even if it's more confusing to start with, that your hope is that God is good, that God is bigger, that God has rewritten the universe. These two men are running because they have this hope. This hope that Jesus is actually who he claims to be. They have a hope that the edges of reality are getting shredded a bit by the majesty and the beauty and the bigness of God. And I hope that God starts messing with your reality as well. Because God is is far more good than we can possibly imagine. We see God take on human form. Jesus is God from God and light from light. And he turns up and he introduces himself. And we see throughout the scriptures, Jesus showing what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God, when it comes in its fullness, people aren't going to be hungry anymore. People aren't going to be wounded or sick anymore. People aren't going to be oppressed anymore. People aren't going to suffer spiritually anymore. That's what the kingdom of God is going to be like. He introduces himself and then humanity kills him. And he lets them. You've heard the phrase before. It was not the nails that held him there. This is how big God is, that he steps out of eternity and remains completely God, but becomes completely human and and allows himself to be humiliated and tortured, to be flayed open by a Roman scourging, to be pierced, to be insulted, to be spat upon, to have the servant of the high priest strike him in the face and then to go to a cross utterly debased, That's how big his love for you is. And because of his love, we have hope. And this hope might be too big for our brains to handle. If I'm used to hoping in political systems and sports players, this hope is going to blow my mind. If I'm used to hoping in money, if I'm used to hoping in my own health and my own capacity to work, if I'm used to hoping in status symbols and power and influence, then the hope of Jesus is going to scuttle me because it, it casts a light on everything else in my life and everything else in your life and says, what is it actually worth? Is it worth your hope? Is it worth your sacrifice? Is it something you can take with you when you die? The hope of Jesus is so big. So what do we do with this? Well, if Jesus is who he claims to be, then money and power and prestige and influence and reputation are of negligible eternal value. We have to revisit our values. We have to revisit everything we hold dear and go, actually, in light of who Jesus is, What am I afraid of? Am I afraid of losing something when it's actually meaningless in eternity? Maybe that's what God wants to bring to your attention this morning. That you're afraid of losing something. 
If Jesus is who he claims to be, then death is undone. Praise God. Death itself has become weak and powerless and impotent and a mild inconvenience. Because of Jesus, death has become a mild inconvenience. It is no longer a full stop. It is a thoroughfare. In light of Jesus, death has lost its significance. Maybe that's what the Lord has his finger on for you this morning. Fear of death. If you belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to you, he promises that he will come and he will take you to be with him where he is. And you don't have to be afraid anymore. And trust in his goodness. If Jesus is who, he's, who he claims to be, then he changes everything that we consider valuable. See, in his kingdom, there is joy and there is justice. And if we are his representatives, we are allowed to celebrate joy and justice. In his kingdom, there is no more sickness. There's no more famine. There's no more starvation. There's no more disease. In God's kingdom, there will be no more cancer, no more violence, no more sorrow, no more betrayal, no more grief, no more hatred, no more rage. Why on earth would I vest my hope in this world? This world needs resurrection. And resurrection, the scriptures say, come on the other side of death. Our hope is not that this world is going to become heaven. Our hope is that heaven is where Christ is. And when Christ comes, he will transform everything. But he is the saviour. My hope is not that I'm the saviour of this world or any piece of it. We're called to stewardship, but our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Jesus and wherever he is. But here's what I want you to take home this morning. If Jesus is actually who he claims to be, then God is pleased with you. God is pleased with you because Jesus has blotted out every black and sinful and offensive thing about you. You have become pleasing to God and God is pleased to make his home in you. If you reject Jesus, then you can hold on to your own status. Often we talk about people being good people. And maybe for some of you here, before you gave your life to Jesus, you thought of yourself as a good person or as a nice person. Jesus' sacrifice happens because none of us reach the bar. None of us have the perfection to stand in the presence of God based on our own merit. And Jesus comes to swap out our eternal death and destruction for his eternal life and joy and oneness with the Father. The early church fathers called this the great exchange. Jesus takes your debt and gives you his inheritance. That is salvation. If you don't want Jesus' inheritance then you get left with whatever you've got. If we want to belong to Jesus, we have to start by waving a little white flag and surrendering and saying, I am not God and I need a saviour. And when we do that, God is pleased with us. So this morning, I encourage you, join your heart with the others who run in hope. We have hope. We have a hope anchored in the very heart of God. Today we celebrate that he has laid hold of us 
when we were as good as dead and he has the breath of his son in exchange for our eternal death. God has saved us when no one else could and when he himself didn't need to. So don't get hung up on temporary things. Let the Lord poke you and prod you about your values and your priorities and your definitions of success and meaning this morning. Give your life to Jesus. Give him all of your life. Give him what he is due. Because no one else is worthy of your attention, let alone your adoration or your praise or your worship. Thank him. Adore him. If he stirs your heart, then cry because of his love for you. Cry because it's too much to fathom or to understand. Sing to him. Obey him. Worship him. Follow him. Find rest in him. Wake up in him. Become a vessel completely filled with Jesus because no other God could come and save you. No one else loves you the way Jesus loves you. No one else is worthy of everything. Please see this morning the great love of God. Let's pray together before we sing and close our service this morning. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would cause us to not just be people who say that we belong to you, who don't just speak those words, but people who live that out. Lord Jesus, let us be people of action. Lord God, I ask that we would not simply say, I love you, but we would show you. Lord Jesus, those of us who are here this morning who are tired, who are fatigued, who feel chewed up and spat out where life is not the way we want life to be, Lord Jesus, would you be our strength? Would our hope in you give us a spine made of steel? Lord Jesus, would you be our strength? Would our hope in you be the thing that lifts our head, helps us to get out of bed in the morning, helps us to push through the difficulties in front of us, not because we... We have hope in ourselves, but our hope is in you. You are enough. You are worthy. Lord Jesus, those of us who are here this morning, who are hurting, who are grieving, who have been harmed by life and by others, would your love for us cause in us such a strength to forgive other people? Not out of weakness, but because of your love. Because you have forgiven us, would you give us the strength to forgive others, to release others from that feeling of being indebted to us? You have cancelled our indebtedness to you. Would you help us to do the same for others? Lord Jesus, as you have loved us, as you have extended your patience and your mercy to us, let us be people of patience and mercy to others. As you fed the hungry, may we feed the hungry. As you stretched out your hand to those who were imprisoned, those who were oppressed, would we be people who represent you faithfully, reaching out to those who are imprisoned and those who are, who are oppressed. Lord Jesus, we want to faithfully represent you. We don't want people to, under, to, to misunderstand who you are. Lord Jesus, you are, you are too big for us to grasp. 
your majesty and your beauty and your love. We don't have the words to encapsulate the magnitude of that. It is just mind-blowing. And so it should be. Lord Jesus, make us your people. Help us to walk, not just to speak about you. Help us to walk in your way. We give ourselves to you this morning as we've given this time to you. Lord Jesus, would your words this morning sink into our hearts and agitate? Not my words, but your, your words, Lord Jesus. Would they sink in and would they agitate our heart? We ask all these things not because we are good, but because you are good. And we ask because of the power of your blood and the power of your spirit and the power of your sacrifice. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.